Welcome to the Unforgiving 60 with your hosts, Ben Pronk and Tim Curtis. As two ex-SAS guys armed with MBAs, Ben and Tim seek out people leading lives less ordinary and talk with them about how they fill their unforgiving minutes and what helps them go always a little further. Like intellectual bowerbirds, we aim to collect shiny little objects of knowledge that we think can help build better humans. Welcome to the Unforgiving 60 podcast. I'm Tim Curtis, as always, with my co-host Ben Pronk, except for the fact that we haven't done this for 12 months, Ben. Welcome back. Thank you. And I'm glad you mentioned that. I thought for a second you might have just been sort of going on as if no one had noticed the last year. And maybe no one... No, actually, people have. Yes, which has been cool and a massive part of the reason why we reinvigorated this because um, it's been really cool to receive feedback saying, where's the pod? Not as if we were uninvigorated, though. The last 12 months has seen us travel in yeah. different directions. little malinvigorated, <laughs> disinvigorated. <laughs> um, why have we been off the air for 12 months? bit of international travel, plenty of domestic travel, and actually usually not involving both of us being at the same place at the same time. So is either one of us is here or, <laughs> or not. <laughs> I've certainly been scheduling a lot of stuff <laughs> to try to make sure. Um, but no, you're right. We, I, I reckon there was at least um, first three months of last year, we were hardly in the same Grid square. Mm, mm. But we are now, and we've mm. made a commitment to season five of the Unforgiving 60 podcast. Yeah. Actually, a big shout out to our listeners who, I mean, plenty have inspired us to come back into the studio. Yes. It'd be easy not to do this, but the feedback's been awesome. And actually, tragically, we lost one of our good friends, Tim Robbo-Robertson, yeah. who's been a guest on this podcast, uh, and the feedback we've had about people going back to listen to that particular episode with Robbo, it super inspired me. People said that with Robbo having passed, they wanted to hear his voice, they wanted to hear what he yeah. stood for, and that Robbo now is timeless, at least in the audio of this audio, yeah, of this yeah. medium. And such a tragic way to, I guess, uh, be reminded of that fact. But mm. um, yeah, it's kind of cool getting a bit of oral history, and, and certainly we're not trying to the church the importance of the unforgiving 60 and the canon of Australian sort of oral history but you know we've had a number of episodes archived in the uh, Australian War Memorial so that that military side of things I think is quite cool and important but uh, also as you said we've had a a lot of people reach out and say hey I enjoyed listening to you two idiots and Mm -hmm. probably less us two idiots and more about the the people we get on Um, and that that's Incredibly humbling, but also inspiring. And we're committing to some super inspiring guests in this particular season that we are lining up. And we'd welcome your feedback on who you'd love to hear on the Unforgiving 60 podcast. Debrief at unforgiving60.com. Has that email been used for a while? We might have to dust it off. <laughs> Go back to the MySpace URL that hosted or whatever. But yeah, no, um, that is the that is the um, the address. What have you missed? What have you missed about the, the pod? Uh, guests. <laughs> I haven't missed being in close proximity to you in this renovated shower cubicle. Gee, and th- I, I was sort of setting up for my thing that I haven't missed. I had forgotten how harming this, <laughs> this doesn't work. This is poor radio. But we are um, sitting in a renovated shower cubicle, as, as Tim said. It's our little podcast studio, which we designed perfectly. Mm. Beautiful acoustics, wonderful sound deadening, nice aesthetic appearance. The one drama is there is no air. <laughs> no, there's not. It is like a well-sealed telephone booth. That's right. And if you want to get an understanding of how small it is, the lovely Emily is in here <laughs> with <laughs> us, <laughs> videoing in far too close proximity. Oh, yeah. to and the and won't be here for too long because, A, <laughs> she's consuming another third of the oxygen and we haven't got much left. <laughs> and, B, I'm getting a honk on. <laughs> it, it is a 35-degree day here in Perth. Emily um, does not be needing to smell your armpits. No. no. And, I mean, our office doesn't have air conditioning at the moment at the best of times and we didn't factor in. Budget cuts. Yeah, we need to work on some kind of ventilation. So <laughs> You might have needed some money to pay for an air conditioner. If we suddenly drop out, uh, <laughs> it's because we've both gone hypoxic. State, uh, and or the state power company has cut us off. Also true. Also yeah. true. But it is good to be back. 
the Fantastic. And yeah. I have missed the guests. Um, so many of them have inspired us. In actual fact, a lot of their stories we, we use in our workshops and keynotes, stories of resilience, of great leadership, of lessons learned from doing things you know, well or not so well. Yeah, and I think also of humility. I mean, the, the thing that, um, and I guess it was a, a central theme to, to the podcast from the start, is that there are just everyday people getting out there and doing some amazing stuff. And it is incredibly useful when you are in a workshop or you're talking with someone who says, this is beyond me, or mm. I'm not the kind of person who can do X, Y, Z. And you're able to, to reference half a dozen examples of, of people who are just like us mm. with um, the, the, the sort of runs on the boards. So, Everyday people doing incredible stuff. Should, should we join them, do you think? <laughs> <laughs> it does look like a lot of hard work. <laughs> and at the moment, I'm, I'm struggling to stand upright. Um, so what is... Been, or what has been going on for the last year? What, 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 Jesus, what so much, highlights? isn't it? Where do, we, yeah. where do we start? How do you want to break this down? Probably wouldn't be a bad idea just to, to maybe hit the wave tops of some of the things we've done professionally. Geographically? Yeah. Start with the geography? Yeah. Well, you, you saw some awesome parts of the world. Yeah. Uh, I did Turkey, Serbia. We are both in the UK together. It was good fun. Um, got a bit of France. <laughs> France, and I laughed because I ran a marathon in France. Yeah, that was Tim, laughable in itself. Yeah, well, I mean, let, let's reflect on that. I mean, that that was uh, while the actual event, and I'll let you describe mm -hmm. the the arduous nature of the event. It wasn't just any marathon, but you did a full marathon block, and and a no kidding marathon block leading up to it. Was that? Yep. Tell us about your reflections on that. Well, we left our listeners with me talking about doing the Marathon du Medoc, mm -hmm. the world's longest marathon, and called, <laughs> called, called so because of the amount of wine that one can consume, 23 chateaus on the 42.195-kilometre route yep. through uh, the, the vineyards um, of Bordeaux, of mm. the Medoc mm. region. But yeah, I did a serious 15-week build-up. In fact, a bit longer because I wasn't, hadn't been running for a little while. So I think in total I did about 21 weeks. Yep. Um, and I also did 105 days of no alcohol, no sugar, no social media. Good Which lessons learned from that. That is a terrible training block <laughs> for an event where you've got to drink 23 times in, in Yeah, that's right. Days. And particularly if you break your alcoholic fast <laughs> on the morning <laughs> that you're about to run a marathon. An incredible marathon, you know, sort of yeah. about nine and a half, ten thousand people, most in fancy dress, all lining up at the start line to run this marathon. Incredible setting, unsurprisingly, through these beautiful chateaus and great wine. Yep. It's not mandatory to drink the wine. I think the winner's still running a 220 marathon. That's unreal. No booze involved in their life, I'd imagine. No. And I imagine they're so far ahead of the congestion that they're, they're probably not getting slowed down at the, yep. at yep. the, the drink stop. But there's plenty of tight corners as you go into chateaus yeah. and out of chateaus. There's terrain changes. You're not always running on tarmac. Sometimes you're on the dirt roads of, of the vineyards. And you can also safely assume that I did add alcohol to my life, <laughs> all 23 stops. In fact, it was Emily, our wonderful um, team member, like, yeah. who challenged me not to, uh, not to not drink. I had to drink all 23 stops. Yeah. And so I did that plus a couple more. And actually, I felt fantastic until about the 25-kilometer mark. When running along, I thought to myself, I'm really pissed. <laughs> <laughs> and then I did some math and realised I'm actually only just over halfway. Yeah. But it was cool. Really cool. Uh, the whole experience, if you wanted to run a competitive time and you, know, you do these sorts of things, I'm not sure you'd go and do that one. But if you but want it's to make... for that, yeah. No, nah, if you want to make instant friends at the start <laughs> line of a marathon and then continue that through, yeah. it's a ripper. That's what really an absolute cool. ripper. Yeah. No, good on you. And you and I ran a half, and you've been doing some other running. Let's talk about that. Move too quickly, move too quick for me. Can't even focus on exactly what I'm supposed to be. Time is changing, changing by the way. Why do I gotta be careful of what I say these days? Yeah, I got back into running 
I guess a couple of years ago now, um, the end of October 22, I did my first, mara- first marathon in 26 years. Mm-hmm. So I'd run a few as a kid um, at ADFA, I think was the last time I ran a marathon. And then Australian Defence Force Academy. Australian Defence Force Academy. So all of whatever that was, 19, uh, 19 years of age. Um, and then, yeah, got back into it and have, have really continued to enjoy it. I do remember, actually, because you you were already planning to do Madoc when I, I ran Perth Marathon in 22, and I remember at about the 36K mark starting to feel really <laughs> terrible. And just flashing into my mind was the thought of having a warm glass of red wine and an oyster, which I understand is one of the, yes. the eight stops. At around about that distance, oh there is God. the oyster stop and the steak stop. Yeah. Shortly followed, I think it's about 41k as you get the ice cream. Yeah, I, I threw up a little in my mouth at that point <laughs> thinking of it. So I take my hat off to you. It's, it's hardcore. Um, but yeah, I've, I've really enjoyed that as a... It's been funny. It's it's a great physical thing, obviously, and I've had my ups and downs trying to get an almost 50-year-old body back into distance running and, of course, like an idiot, um, start. Your brain still thinks you're, you're 24 years old and so you know, a few hammies, a few calves, those sorts of things. Um, but a couple of reflections. Um, one, it has been an awesome... Um, I guess real crystallization of that idea of, of the it being about the journey and not the, the end state. So I, I was training again for Perth last year, Perth Marathon, and sort of got crook and a bit injured when we were mm. in the UK and and realised pretty quickly I, I was Perth would be awful to do it. You know, I, I was sick and, and wouldn't have trained. But let's talk about the moment you realised you were, you know, unhealthy. Yeah. Your initial thoughts were? I can't remember. <laughs> You're setting this up and I can't remember. So you remember you telling me as we were wandering around the states, streets of London and it yep. was just this incredible frustration. You're like, oh, oh yeah. I'm bloody pissed off. I can't yep. run it. I yep. can't train. Yep, yep, yep. And then, uh, absolutely. And then, oh, by the no, way, you, half you, of your portfolio was spent talking about a subject called resilience. That was quite funny as well. And But that that was that crystallization that I mentioned because, you know, I'd, I'd had in my head and, and the training had been going well and I, I was hitting these sort of benchmark workouts to get a decent time um, and then to have the sort of rug pulled out from this illness um, three odd weeks out. That was frustrating. But the as I reflected on that, and it was in conversations with you and Dan, actually, that really put it into perspective. And I remember Dan uh, being quite in, undiplomatic and saying, you know, who gives a shit? Like, you know, what? and I remember we were sort of walking around um, Hyde Park in London. It was a beautiful, beautiful Saturday morning and there were people swimming. It was a swimming event in Serpentine Lake. Yep. Anyway, um, it was just this wonderful moment to be present and alive. And I'm grizzling about, oh, maybe I can't do this marathon in a PB time or whatever. Dan goes, wake up to yourself, dude. And exactly your point, you know, um, this is about resilience. And that, and that was that real crystallizing sort of thing that, Actually, it doesn't matter whether I run this thing, whether I get a PB or, or not. Like, the process has been awesome. Yes. And then stepping back and, and particularly since then, have been able to reflect a lot more on, gee, I like the act of being able to, to go running. I'm, mm. I'm actually lucky in that, that wonderful saying, you know, oh, I have to go running this morning. I have to run 5Ks this morning. I get to run 5Ks. Yes. That's yeah. a, a privilege. And so I've really, um, really enjoyed that, that sort of aspect. The, the other thing which I found very surprising and really enjoyable is how nostalgic it's made me be. Getting mm-hmm. back into training does remind me of being sort of 18 and 19 again, and, and not in a way that I wish I was 18 or 19 again, but just uh, almost a, a, a touch point back to a time when, you know, you were so young and vital, and, and it gives you a little glimpse of that again, mm. which... I, I don't pine for, but uh, it has been lovely. The days of no warm-up, no stretching, no oh, recovery. Dude. Yeah, 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 and and running on hangovers and, and mm. yeah, exactly. And you apply a soundtrack as well that's accompanying you on the runs that yeah. takes you back there, don't you? You yeah. tend to, look, to listen to older Absolutely. albums. Absolutely, yeah, and, and the sort of stuff I was listening to, you know, they're, you know, like for so many of us, you know, music is so evocative and um, a, a very terrible example, but... Um, you know that Ace of Bass song, The Sign? Mm-hmm. So I, I remember going to... Can you to sing a, a few bars for those that can't <laughs> uh, remember? So in fact, <laughs> could, we should do the... Um, have you seen Pitch Perfect? There's a wonderful uh, oh, a cappella version. version. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Um, I will not no, we've, never, we've not watched that movie. No, no. <laughs> Apparently. Yeah, yeah, so there's that. 
Um, but I remember going to a race in Canberra, and of course, this is pre-Spotify, um, pre—I mm-hmm. don't even think I had a CD player in my car. And so, whatever's on the radio, the last song on the radio before this race was the the sign by Ace of Base, and I, I just remember that. And it's so evocative when I hear that song; it's, it just takes me back to that that sort of point. And yeah, I, I don't know. It's it's been a funny little journey down uh, memory lane, which I've actually enjoyed a lot. Yeah, what is it about music that stimulates the senses? You know, you can hear a song, you can taste mm, what you're mm, reading at that mm. time, or feel nauseous if indeed you were nauseous no, at the absolutely. time the song was playing. Or you know, I think I've told the story about finishing selection, being in the minibus with everyone in complete silence and on the radio of the minibus was the song What If God Was One Of Us. Yeah, yeah. And every time I, I, I um, hear that song, I actually feel really emotional because yeah. I remember being really emotional in the minibus. Yep. But as Jill Bolt-Taylor tells us, an emotion only lasts 90 seconds. So I'm deliberately, consciously re-triggering that emotion based on yeah. the evocative nature of that song. Yeah, yeah. Me. And uh, I think smells are the same as well. Yeah, yeah. yeah it's interesting. Yeah, ones. yeah. Um, so I guess that that um, hits the the sort of running thing for for me. Some really interesting travel as well. Um, I loved that UK trip um, uh, with you and Dan. That yeah. was a great opportunity. Ran a, ran a couple of resilience mentor courses in London, which yeah. was cool, which was really good fun. And we enjoyed ourselves too. Yeah. We were not working super, super hard. We stayed, well, we arrived a few days before. <laughs> yeah, but <laughs> Had to I get mean, the doctor uh, orientated <laughs> to what is London. <laughs> and, and what, I actually, what are we doing? Well, in fact, we both, you'd, you'd had the holiday in, in France before and I, I stayed on, um, flew my wife over and stayed on in France after. So, yeah, that that was, was very fun. Um, I had a couple of trips to Vietnam, mm-hmm. um, which is always a wonderful, we've got a, a great client over there and, and that's always a good, fun place. Uh and, you know, spend it, uh, a lot of it was based out of Ungtau, which has got a lot of resonance in Australian military history. So uh, very interesting. Very interesting as well as you as you look through our own generation's experience in Afghanistan. And, you know, certainly uh, you, you could probably um, drive yourself pretty crazy wondering what all that was for. But, but you certainly look at Vietnam and, and our parents' generation mm. um, from a military side, the, the importance of that place. And we look at this thriving country of, of wonderful, by the way, communist people and, you know, there was no domino theory and all that sort of stuff. And yeah, it's very interesting when we look at how often we repeat the follies mm. of um of sending sending people to war. Yeah, how would we know we were wrong about those thoughts? I mean, <laughs> yeah. history will tell you. Yeah, 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 you probably are. So oh, Vietnam was fantastic. And sorry, just staying with the military theme, yeah. and then you, you had a Switzerland and a Germany. Yeah. Actually, not in that order. You in the Germany order. first and then Switzerland with a military theme too. Yeah, it was. Um, so the, the real privilege of presenting on resilience to um, the Combat Medical Conference in uh, just outside of Munich in, in Germany, which was Was Dr. Van Pronk annoyed at you... <laughs> presenting at a medical conference he had to have been not so much annoyed and in absolute transparency i was not the pronk they were looking for (laughs) (laughs) dr ben pronk (laughs) yeah i was a distant second in fact i was probably even further down the list of pronks that they actually wanted to speak um so no dana got the invite but couldn't make it but but said um I know someone who's semi-competent and shares the same last name, and so I got the gig. Which you must great. have delivered both with competence and confidence because you are invited back. I got an invite back. So the um, wonderful, uh, you know, it was, it was a fantastic, I mean, it, it was a fantastic experience there in Germany, A, because um, the, the group of people, a lot of NATO combat military uh, sort of representatives, um, and so really interesting conversations with a lot of them. Uh, fascinating to see the reach. I, at one stage, um, had a really cool conversation with uh, a German um, female captain, a surgeon, so uh, medical corps uh, surgeon captain, who said, "Love your book, and we use the lessons in our in our surgical team." Wow. And well, yeah. And my first question is, how the hell did you get hold of the book? You know, like, yeah, that's a good how, question. How did that happen? And, and she said, oh, you know, someone told me, and I got the audio, and yeah. blah blah blah. So that was cool. Like mm. just that that kind of weird level of reach. Um, the other thing that was really um, powerful was that it, clearly a lot of the focus was on the lessons coming out of the Ukraine, mm-hmm. and um, I uh, I spoke right up front, but then was immediately followed by uh, three different presenters at different levels of trauma care from the Ukraine, including an incredible 
um, Polish female medic uh, who's done a bunch of work there. Um, Kate, shout out to, to Kate, who's who's genuinely doing God's work in that place. But um, her presentation on the realities of the conflict there and just, you know, we spoke about history repeating itself, um, her reflections of it, essentially back to a World War One style mm. trench warfare. Um, just, and it really questioned your, your sort of assumptions. I, I've never deployed anywhere without just this rock solid confidence of the golden hour. Yeah. Yeah, you know, you get injured. Oh, on and oh, by the way, we will win. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, yes. And and oh, by the way, even if we lose, it's not our families that get steamrolled. Like, there, there's so many differences. Um, but yeah, there's no Kazavak. There's certainly no daylight Kazavak. There's no aerial Kazavak. Um, she said, "There's this sort of black humour joke that if you get uh, shot at last light, you're you're very lucky. We've got a chance of getting you out. If you get shot first thing in the morning." You're staying in the trenches with whatever injury you've got and until the sun sets. Kazavak yeah. Cas- um, being casualty evacuation yeah. and the golden hour? Yeah, the golden hour being this um, aspiration which was met pretty much uh, universally that if you get injured on the battlefields that will have you in a surgical facility within an hour. And um, Which you'd think was a situation that with time would only get better. Yeah. Turns out it wouldn't be reversion. Turns yeah. out it doesn't work when the bad guys have sophisticated weaponry. Yes, funny turns that. out war is less fun when the bad guys have rockets and aircraft and air parity and mm. you know drones and snipers and satellites and yeah, all that sort of stuff. And interest that, and commitment. Yeah, yeah. So some really stark lessons out of that. And then, as you said, on the back of that, um, was was very lucky to get invited to to uh, Switzerland mm-hmm. uh, later in November to speak to the the Swiss Army uh, Medical Conference uh, again on resilience. And again, um, got to share the stage with Kate, the the uh, Polish medic, who again just, I mean, w- the only downside of 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 doing those things alongside her is that. Yeah, you, your stories suck compared to, mm. to to what she's doing, and and actually, you know, as we speak, is continues to do so. Yeah, is she a researcher as well? No, uh, no, she's a, a paramedic, um, and really uh, impressive human being, um, but does a lot of work to uh, raise awareness, raise money for her own particular um, uh, sort of organisation that that provides the the services. Um, and yeah, a, a really impressive human, as I said. Mm, mm. Mm. So yeah, those were fantastic trips. Surprise trip of the year for me, mm-hmm. Senegal. Okay. Yeah, I um, had been sort of never on my travel radar. Uh, we had the opportunity to go there with a client. Um, first time for me in West Africa. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you hear there's obviously... Uh, you know, instability throughout that region. and Only ever hear the bad stuff. Only ever hear the bad stuff. But I tell you, um, Senegal's gorgeous. By regional standards, uh, very safe, um, seemed very stable. Um, Obviously, it's got its own issues, but but certainly um, never felt that that sort of danger or or, um, threat while I was there. Uh, Gorgeous coastline. Cranking surf, mm. really good surf. Um, I'm not a surfer, but it, it was interesting that, that it's a destination and, and there's a, a local surf Were scene. people surfing? Yes, mm-hmm. and um, it's one of those sort of parts of the world that uh, has a, a break that works in any conditions ah. sort of within kind of a couple of kilometres, just the nature of the coastline and, and that sort of stuff. Mm. Um, so that was really interesting. Um, food was outstanding, uh, very cheap. People were lovely. Um Francophone nation, and so that was actually I really enjoyed that. I I dusted off a bit of the schoolboy French, um, in fact, both for that that Paris trip, but also for for Senegal. And it was quite interesting because in Paris, you know, you you stumble through a few <laughs> je voudrais and croissants, <laughs> yes, <laughs> um, and and they they sort of humour you and then start speaking in English because they they've all got good English. But in Senegal, uh, the penetration wasn't uh, English penetration wasn't as deep, so you actually needed it um, in, you know, to get around and to talk with drivers and to get stuff in shops and that sort of stuff. And so that was really cool. And um, and is Senegalese French different? Uh, apparently it is, mm-hmm. um, but not not um, not enough that you, you can't be understood or you mm. cannot understand if you've got 
French French. Uh, but I think there is uh, different um, dialect and, and that sort of stuff. But, it, yeah, it's close enough. So you, your point is you had to prepare for the trip, yeah. refine your high school French, which I've otherwise generally been pretty good. And I've, I've, I've enjoyed, I did enjoy the language and I've tried to keep it up with, with when we do do francophone work. And, and I like the idea of being able to communicate in another language. But it was a really cool little um, challenge. And, you know... Again, like so many of these things, getting back into running, the, the technology in terms of the, the shoes and the running watches is just so much better than last time I did it. And, of course, the apps like Duolingo and, and the, the content on YouTube to, to help you brush up in a very quick and efficient way is, is just amazing. Mm. Yeah. If you've made it this far, congratulations. We're as surprised as you are. Stick around because it could get better, but don't quote me on that. You can find out more about the topics of resilience, stress, and how to optimise your life in the Resilience Shield. Reach out via the website at www.resilienceshield.com or do yourself a favour and just buy a copy of the book. had to exercise my Papua New Guinean talk pissing. Oh, really? This week, actually, we were running um, a safety leadership program and uh, had a Papua New Guinean from the highlands of New ah, Guinea. When, when I said, <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's right. When I say I had to, I did not, but I yeah, used yeah. the opportunity to converse. That's cool. There was a bit of recall, yeah. You yeah. opened that pathway. It was good. Yeah, yeah it's it good. good. It's, it's old dogs and new tricks, but all, all a bit of neuroplasticity and, and yeah. that sort of stuff. I don't know who was more surprised that I could remember some vocab or that he was sitting inside a workshop in Australia. Yeah, listening yeah. To this listening to a bit of white dude doing some talk pissing. Talk pissing. Yeah. Ola man. Big gosh. <laughs> or ola boy. <laughs> Little gosh. <laughs> And you stop good or no good. Um, what else? Uh, well, sadly, last year lost my dad. You know, yeah. Was that 11 weeks ago? Um, which is a great test of one's resilience. Yeah. And also, uh, yeah, you look through the that prism at this thing called stress. Mm. I mm. felt like I could cope okay. But actually, it wasn't really about me. It was a, about being there for everyone else as well as dealing with your own grief. So that yeah. was really quite a fascinating insight, albeit tragic to lose dad. Um, but yeah, what's resilience? A better than expected outcome given the adversity faced. Yeah. Hopefully we got the family through with a better than expected outcome. Well, um, I mean, there was more than one person um, at the funeral who who uh, was effusive in their praise of your, your eulogy and... and you know, that ability in that stressful moment to capture uh, so poignantly for your family and for everyone there who, who obviously all, all love Rod, mm. uh, to capture his life and his character, um, mm. which can't have been easy when you're grieving yourself. So, yeah, yeah, yeah you, thanks, you did oh, well easy, easy when your old man's a bit of a legend, you know, with beautiful yeah. traits and attributes and behaviours. Yeah. And I asked you to do a poem, and here's a little uh, bit of a subscript oh, to yeah, Dad's, yeah. <laughs> Dad's funeral. So I asked Ben to, to do a, a poem called The Ode to the Wandering mm-hmm. Warrior. Yeah. And uh, he goes, oh, yeah, but I've got a dart, or you said I've got a dart from this, and then I'll you know, get to get to the, um, to the funeral. Um, I said, no worries, I'll print off a copy of the poem, which I did, mm. and dutifully, dutifully forgot to give it to you and I'm sitting <laughs> in the front row in that pew and I'm going oh gee how do I get it to you and then you walk down to give the poem and I pulled it out you know sort of gestured at you and you you gave me a little mini shake of the head like nah nah <laughs> don't need it and then unsurprisingly Benjamin Alexander Pronk you stood up there and you had memorized it Just and gave it beautifully it up. but <laughs> the fact that no one knew the poem meant I could have said anything and, and ah, it was great it was super special yeah, it, it was good it was um and again one of these things and and like you you mentioned Robert before sadly I was I was in fact in in Switzerland uh uh, at his ceremony, but that idea of, of the caliber of the individual is really highlighted by the people who, who rock up, and mm. it was a it was a pretty impressive group of people who came to pay their their final respects to Rod. Yeah, it's no longer weddings, sadly. It's it's more the funerals yeah. for, for catching up. And Robbo's was special. Mm. Um, yeah, really great collection of people. Naturally, his family, wonderful group. Mm. Then there was the locals. He had settled. Um, 
down in uh, on the surf coast Torquay of way, Victoria, yeah. around Torquay Way, a place called Janjuk, Janjuk area. And then he had his Air Force mates and all these fighter jocks. and Including, uh, by the way, Chief of Air Force. Is, yeah, is that's right. Yeah yeah, 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 yeah. Rob Chipman, a classmate of mine, was there. Yeah. Um, and then, of course, you know, these grubby ex SAS and current serving SAS guys, mm. actually. So, yeah, it was a wonderful collision of people. We had an absolute blast. And it was really nice, actually, just telling war stories about Robbo and, you know, what he did and didn't do. And, yeah, it was really cool. No, that's cool. Really good fun. Yeah. Um, and what about work-wise over the last year? What key sort of milestones from your perspective? Yeah, well, we just did a reflection, 200 and, what did we work out, 255 projects and tasks last year. Mm. So super busy. Um, with the resilience part building um, to be, I don't know, maybe 40% of what we're doing, yeah. nearly on half of yeah, what yeah. we're doing, and then leadership and teamwork and crisis management and general strategic stuff. So uh, I guess that punctuates the point. The variety's been awesome. Yeah. You know, we're doing the keynotes, we're doing the workshops, um, we're now running the courses for resilience mentors and exponents. So that's been really exciting, um, including recently having run a Resilience Mentors course here in Perth. And the, the great thing about a course where someone elects to turn up <laughs> is when you're facilitating it, it's like, hang on. You know, they haven't told, been told to be there. They want to be, they want to challenge you. Yeah. They've got their own ideas. And whether it was London or Perth last year on, on the courses we run, it was super cool. I absolutely love that. And I remember saying to you and Dan, you know, like at whatever it was, H-2, we're just about to kick off the first of the open enrolment courses that we ran. Um, I really, I, I had big imposter syndrome. And we talk about mm. that a lot mm. in our um, our leadership stuff. Uh, but it... It really dawned on me that, you know, it's one thing where, you know, you sell some work to a company and the company says, everyone rock up at 10 a.m. and do your resilience thing or your crisis management or whatever, and, and hopefully we deliver value through that. But it's a very different thing mm -hmm. where the individual, as you said, they're, they're the ones who make the decision. And, and we had people uh, travel not only, you know, from all of the East and mm -hmm. Australian coast states, but from Poland, mm -hmm. from the Netherlands, yep. from Singapore. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, self-funded to come over for this, not, not, oh, I'm here anyway. Um, and I remember saying to you guys, like, shit, do they know it's just us? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. We, we all had that imposter syndrome, yeah. which we would also say in the very next breath demonstrates that there's some level of self-awareness <laughs> that, that, oh, yeah, <laughs> that there's an absence of confidence <laughs> or an absence of confidence, uh, competence and confidence. <laughs> That we can build, we can build. But yeah, it was absolutely, fun. and and I think it does. Um, it was, and you know, people throw this word around a lot, but it was genuinely humbling, um, particularly looking at the caliber of people who came to that. Um, and like with all these things, the the second we got into it, it was just such a a warm uh, learning environment, such a safe environment, and, and people were sharing their thoughts, and we were learning a ton ourselves. So, um, and apart from anything, it was bloody fun, you know. If, if gee. Case study um, on that sort of theme. So delivering some work, uh, leadership program, leadership team, um, unique environment that they're going down to, just um, 10 of them in a team of 20, high mm. pressure, lots of complexity. Uh, the particular nominated leader is probably the most experienced leader in this area on the planet. Mm. And we were talking about things that we were concerned about that might be a challenge, that might be a problem, what are you worried about? And the leader says, I have a great fear that I'll go down there and fail. <laughs> now, her, the rest of her team had previously said prior to that moment clearly that, oh, you're the most experienced person having ever done this. Yeah. You know, no one compares with you on the planet. But there was still that element of self-doubt. Yeah, isn't it funny? And I think, um, I mean, it's that continuum, isn't it, where if you are completely at self-doubt, then, you know, you, you're, never, you're never going to be able to back yourself. You, you won't have that self-efficacy. And I don't think that was the case with this person. But if you're at that other hard end of the spectrum, that, you know, absolute hubris, never doubt yourself, um, you know, that obviously is a pretty dangerous place to be as well. And and for mine, I, I think, you know, the, the idea of having a little bit of 
uh, maybe on the, the the sort of imposter syndrome side does probably talk to the fact that you you're not um, hubristic, you're not narcissistic. You you are aware that there's areas where you've still got to grow, which can be a powerful motivator. Mm-hmm. Um, it is just a matter of of trying to to sort of get out of that that um, the space where it starts undermining your your confidence and your self efficacy. And and I think you know there's some good tools you can do. I I do like that one of um, sort of trying to distance yourself from your thoughts a bit, that your thoughts are not yourself. And that's okay if there's a part of your brain that's saying, what if I fail? But being able to then look at it, I I love the idea of of in the third person. You know, what advice would you give to a friend in exactly that same position? You wouldn't say, yeah, you'll probably fail. You would say, hang on, if not you, then who? Mm. I mean, you've got the runs on the board. Yeah, this is a complex environment. There's, There's inherent risks and and it can be unforgiving but you know you know you're going to be able to step up to this you can't predict it but you know that you you've got the chops to be able to step up if that happens the inner coach wasn't working in that moment which is interesting but the external coach oh the support um the understanding yeah and of course it also prompted the logical questions well what's different about this particular challenge Mm. you you know from all the other times that you've done this or nothing anything particular you're worried about technically staff wise no Mm. Uh, and what's your definition of failure yeah well i don't know and all of those things can be excellent things to to codify to to actually Mm. even write down you know if you've got someone you can talk it over with that's great as well but you know to get it out of your head break that cycle of rumination mm-hmm. um, and this is where I, I personally find journaling really useful yeah. you know as I'm going into stuff and I, again I think it's a good sign I, I think you know I'd prefer to have that bit of imposter syndrome before the mentors course and to, to go in hubristically thinking I've got this and then yeah. stuff it up mm. um, but yeah a real tonic for me is, is being able to the night before as I'm worried about something just journaling down okay this is coming up you know, I'm nervous about this and I don't know these people or I don't know this client or what if it stuffs up. But then, you know, it's almost there's magic in the transfer out of your head and onto the written word. But it also starts leading to those kind of questions. Well, what exactly am I worried about? Well, what if they don't like me? Well, I can't directly influence that. But what I can do is open strong and I know I know my material and I believe this is a value. And yeah, you, you can, I think you can... Um, just asking those sort of questions you've you posed before, you can really start to, to rationalise things. Mm. We did another body of work, interested in your thoughts on this, with a, with a police tactical group, mm. but also their side-by-side psychological team, yeah. nearly in a matchmaking capacity. Now, we know much less about psychological science than a group of 30 psychologists, but they couldn't kind of get it to work. They didn't really understand, well, why aren't the tactical operators seeking our support? And that was really interesting in getting both sides of that equation um, and also perhaps changing the prism through which um, through which they looked, both sides. You know, the tactical operators always seeking some little nth degree advantage. You know, mm. They're doing mixed mm. martial arts just in case oh, a crook does this, I'll get, be able to get him into an arm bar. The likelihood <laughs> of that is about zero. <laughs> so how do, you, how do you, on the other side of the equation as a bunch of psychologists, give to them an unfair advantage? And this is probably where changing the game, you know, new and novel concepts to present offers um, you know the, the the new piece and uh, and actually I think we left that with the psych saying well rather than you thinking about yourselves being a post-incident support mechanism why aren't you thinking of yourselves as the psychological tune-up yeah yeah the high performance I mean Michael yeah. Jordan traveled with his psychologist mm. he wasn't doing it because he was experiencing some experiencing some form of trauma or regret post game mm. It was about preparing his head for the next time around. Yeah. And I think as we're getting a better understanding, and, and I do think certainly in the work we've done in the resilience space, that the convert, people want to have the conversation. They're mm. recognising mental health isn't a stigma to all. I think we're getting better at recognising mental health. It's not this stigmatised thing that we, we hope we don't have to deal with, but it's just like our physical health. And, you know, yeah, we see a doctor when we're feeling sick physically, but we also do a lot of stuff to prevent that happening. Mm. And why wouldn't we be doing the same with our mental health? Mm-hmm. And I think that's starting to open some doors. And I think 
um, you know, the the pop culture sort of um, em- embrace of some of these things. I think people like Andrew Huberman have been fantastic for this. I think even, you know, the, the Jocko Willington and David Goggins on the, the mindset side of mm-hmm. things. I think the Wim Hof on the, the breathing, breathing side. You know, like these kind of touch points mean that the conversation's already out there and it's not about some fringe thing. It's about something that, yeah, okay, just like I can go running or cycling or do Zumba or dance or whatever for my fitness, there are a range of tools uh, for my physical fitness. There are a range of tools that I can use to improve my mental mm. health and overall well-being. Mm. And maybe that's a good point to for us to think about the style of guests that we get on. Mm. Have we covered all the bases, the bases that we talk about that are the layers of your resilient shield? Have we covered mindset, the importance of meditation, mindfulness? We probably have that have done those to a certain degree. Yeah, yeah. The, the sleep, the diet, and the exercise, yep, yep. the nutritional component, you know, mm. the sleep science that sits behind the logic on why we all should sleep well and the consequences yeah. if we don't. Um, and the social bit, I don't know how we get it. Is there a social expert out there? I guess I there, probably, there probably are sociologists. There's some really interesting... I mean, there's a ton of research on it. Um, mm. Albert Brooks, a guy who writes for The Atlantic, and in fact, he just... Um, Wrote a book with Oprah, uh, the name of which I can't recall. But um, yeah, it talks a lot about that that sort of single biggest determinant of longevity mm. and, and also quality of life into your, particularly your older years. Yep. yep. As being social connection. Yeah. And then we have done already a, had a few guests like Nir Ayal on how you bring focus and attention to things that yeah, are important, do the deep self. work, not the shallow work. But yeah, if you've got some ideas on things that have been missing in the first four seasons, we'd love to hear about them and see if we can't match make a good solution yeah a good guest to give us some thoughts on how we build a debrief at unforgiving60.com one of them's growing not fast enough one of them's flowing not far enough one of them's crying what has made it sad One of them's dying From what it never What it never, ever, ever had The other thing I'm keen to, to really explore this season In addition to continuing to ask guests about their power song mm. Oh yeah Up for some good yeah. Have you got any good music? Oh Recommendations? What, what are you listening to lately? I've been listening to a bit of a, a garden variety bucket really no great change yeah 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 my, my brother thing. does good uh, playlists called okay. simon's jam he's got simon's <laughs> jams one two three and four on yeah, spotify yeah. yeah okay well the unforgiving 60 playlist also gets a little bit of a run in my headphones when i'm doing yeah. things yeah there's been some good ones we could probably refresh that with some guests great power songs yeah power songs will continue um but also asking that pointed question, how are you feeling your unforgiving minutes? You know, mm. what are you doing either directly to build your resilience or what are you finding a, a, a cool little pastime? What's your little passion at the moment? What, how would you answer that question at the yeah, moment? Yeah, that's a good one. So I, I've been searching on how to define what I want to do around the house this year. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's always something to do at my place. Something's always broken, needs to be mowed or mended or cut. And... Probably it's easy to not do that, you know, whether it's too hot, too cold, it's raining. Mm -hmm. And so now I'm trying to just remain active. So if I'm in the house and I'm not decompressing, then what am I doing? Yeah, rather yeah. than just sitting down and mindlessly turning on the television. That's pretty cool. To, to so get a label. That, that unforgiving minute. Yeah, but to get a label on that has been quite challenging because I didn't want to see, I didn't want to say, I just want to be busy at home because mm. that busy is not the right word. And so I heard someone talking about their New Year's resolution as being in better flow. That's probably the one, you know, when I'm at home, I want to be in better flow, doing things that are constructive to, you know, the quality of the property in which I live, but also the quality of people's lives who share that property and maybe also making a little contribution to a nicer neighbourhood, a better street. Yeah, cool. So I've been, yeah, playing around with that. Um, And it's good fun. Yeah, you're like... A never-ending list of things and comes back to your old man's theories, which I absolutely love, like telling myself, oh, if that's broken, it's not about going down and buying a yeah, new one. Yeah, it's yeah. about replacing it. Everything is figureoutable. Yep. 
Um, so I've been trying to be a bit better about that. And incredibly, you can learn how to sharpen mm. your chainsaw. What are those things called? Teeth? <laughs> <laughs> yes. In so many different places. Yeah. YouTube, YouTube yeah. is a phenomenal resource on how to make something, mend something, maintain something, repair something. Yeah. And um, and I've been loving the time on my bike. Yes. So just a few weeks ago, I rode Mundabidi, which is the 1,100-kilometre trail from Perth down to Albany. Just an amazing change in topography, little trail towns. And you will remember that uh, just before we left our audience in season four, I was going to do it, and yep. I made about seven-tenths of the way before my bike had a catastrophic mechanical problem. <laughs> so this time around, I, I rode it with my brother. I encouraged my brother to do it. And it was, yeah, plenty of the topography, the trail towns, the experience of just being out in nature and bivvying out and hutting out. But actually, like you know, with the stuff we do with Dan, and um, it was just awesome to, to be with my brother. Mm. No, that's um, really cool. But, uh, you know, psychologically, what was interesting is the first probably couple of days, we're trying to work it out. There's still a bit of the storming, forming, norming, like who's going <laughs> to ride, you know, who's going to ride quick or slow, or when do we stop? And, and then sort of probably by about day three, four, we found our rhythm, and yeah, it was cool. It was cool because it's still a, this physical thing. You've still got yeah, to ride yeah, 100 yeah. plus k's a day. You've got to ride up hills and you go at different speeds at different times depending upon the surface. So that was that was special, really special. Oh, that's really And cool. it's not a – I mean, people, people, you know, ride distances every day, but the terrain and the change of terrain and the little unique challenges, technical and, you know, endurance – you don't underestimate them on the Mundabidi. It's funny, we rode it in 10 days. We probably could have ridden it a bit quicker. There was no one else that we met on the trail that was riding it in 10 days, which is probably smarter because yeah. they were taking the time to appreciate the little things, the little moments, the little places on the trail. Huh. Yeah, yeah, it was cool. No, that's that was really cool. cool. What was, where was I going with that? Ah, I want to continue. Yeah, yeah, with filling some, your unforgiving minutes. With, with a bit of riding, yeah, 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 yeah. And I'd love to do some in Europe, some bike packing, gravel biking in Europe, where probably things are a bit more accessible. You're not going to ride two days without seeing a trail, <laughs> a trail town. <laughs> yep, yep. <laughs> you definitely see a trail two city. Days you're in a different country. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. So I'd love to do a bit of that. Yeah, that's really cool. Um what um and and so that leads to the, my next question. What what are your goals? Have you have you got ideas for for things you want to do um, in twenty twenty four? Yep, yep. So we've just in fact we've just been talking about this, yeah. hasn't it? So uh, haven't we? Um, book book two, mm-hmm. and we've got uh, well, I guess concurrently shared authorship of book three between you I and some other crew on our team. That book's on crisis leadership. Yep. Um, I'd like to do something that's a bit more of a physical meets mental challenge. Yep. The real question is, how do you lock it in? I still have this great desire to go and climb a mountain, something that's reasonably yeah. um, reasonably iconic, but not that's not going to take me a month to acclimate yeah, and walk yeah. in and, and do that. Um, and then maybe learn a new skill. Um, could be a big skill, could be a little skill. I don't know. It's I'm still playing around, playing around yeah. with a bit of that, and on how it all fits in together. And and to be frank, being a bit kind on myself because I could just ignore everything else and go, no, no, I'm going to do that. So rather than um, you know be brutal on you will do it. Yeah. Perhaps coming back to that flow thing, if when it comes and it's it feels right in terms of time and the th- and the thing that it happens to be, then just roll with it. Yeah, I like that. And very much for me, I mean, I, I, I've got some goals. Like I, like I said, I've really enjoyed getting back into running, and I've got some running-based goals. Um, I'd like to do some faster stuff. I'd like to do another marathon, and in fact, I'm in the middle of a marathon block at the moment, and hope to do one in uh, early March here in Perth. But um, also been inspired to do a bit of quicker stuff, and and heavily inspired. Uh, Dan, my brother, used to be a good 1500 meter runner the romance of that sort of track running and, and you know, that sort of thing. Uh, very inspired by um, Hugh van Kolenberg, mm-hmm. um, who uh, just recently came within less than a second of the Australian Masters 4 by uh, 400 metre record. Um, and, in fact, it's it's well worth looking at. It's a cracking race. That it was at the Zatapec meet 
uh, last year and um, he'd trained Buddy hard for it and we, we were sort of texting just after and um, yeah, he should be obviously incredibly proud of, of what he's achieved but but frustrating that, that it was that close mm. um, and you know, there, it was pretty unfavourable weather conditions but yeah, that, that I find pretty inspiring. Um, yeah, and, and, and that idea of doing something a bit different, a bit out of the comfort zone, sort of in that respect. I, mm. Yeah. Anything new? Um, do you know, I, I have... Or brand new? <laughs> well, brand new, brand, brand new, um, within the last couple of months, I, I picked up a Rubik's Cube and um, had always wanted to do that as a kid. And, um, you know, you talk about YouTube, Gee, it's an, a, an incredible resource. You know, you, you can now learn how to solve a Rubik's Cube. That magic of, of the thing gets broken down for you. Um, but having sort of mucked around with it a bit more, there's obviously more and more techniques. And it's a great little, um, I guess, like, like the French I was talking about before, little brain training activity. It's very similar to your... Um, uh, you know, executive function sort of games in that you've, you've got to recognize patterns, you've got to make quick decisions, um, you've got to memorize a bunch of algorithms and, you know, the the best cubers in the world um, are basically uh, just this library of algorithms and they can, can recognize very quickly what a pattern is and, and apply the, the correct algorithm. There's a dexterity thing. Mm-hmm. Anyway, it's, it's funny. It's, it, it's, it's a lot more than a, a kid's toy or a parlor trick in that sense and I've been enjoying... Uh, mucking around with that and and again very much it's funny watching um, you know as my kids do it and just the their plastic little brains and agile little fingers they pick it up so much quicker whereas you know this steam driven um, uh, brain well there's a good I mean you know to to that point you know three parts to executive function you know it embraces two of them the working memory yeah. and cognitive flexibility albeit the rules don't change too much but mm. I guess they do in the patterns well, there, and there's a bunch of impulse control in there as well actually yeah. you know in okay. terms of, of just hanging fire and, and you know that second of a look ahead rather than going straight into an algori- algorithm that's the wrong one mm-hmm. um, yeah so it, it's it's really good in, in terms of that um, though all of those skills are, and you were trying to break your record today, and I thought I'm going to test whether or not you've hit that point of mastery by asking you <laughs> completely unrelated <laughs> questions to Rubik's cube, and you could, you were holding a conversation whilst yeah, twiddling this Rubik's yeah, cube yeah, yeah. to try and break your record, which is a pretty good indication that you're very un- unconsciously <laughs> becoming con- uh, competent at it. But it is. It's it's an it's another one of those things where it's it's slowly nice to feel my fingers doing the right thing, and mm. and it's a kind of. Yeah, little, um, I guess, a, a flow state. You, you can't be thinking of much else. And in fact, if you do start thinking of much else, um, yeah, you, you're guaranteed to stuff it up. So that, that's that been interesting. So talk to me about this neural pathway. It's one that I just do not have. So I arrive in the office today and we've always had a wall that colloquially is is for the pronk, <laughs> for something that you do in, in an art sense. Yeah. And uh, great surprise this morning as I came in early, opened up, turned on the lights, and there it is—the mural. <laughs> it's a it's a stencil. Yep. And I have seen the video. I cannot work out how you even do it. Maybe I'll leave it to you to describe the stencil and how the hell you get it yeah. from a spray can through a stencil to look like it does. And we will <laughs> post this on our socials. Very cool. Um, well. You and I had been to and very much enjoyed that Banksy exhibition in, in London when yeah. we were there last year. Yeah. And, and inspired by just his th- his thoughts. Yeah, absolutely. In general, just, God, just mind-blowing how clever he is. Correct. And so this is, um, what, did, what did Pablo Picasso say, you know, good artists borrow, great artists steal or something, mm. you know. So this is just <laughs> a direct lift. Um, but uh, that... that what I think is an iconic photo of you in the, the skipper seat of the Pong Su um, formed the basis of it and I added a packet of salt and vinegar chips. <laughs> <laughs> well, we often, in, in the discussion, because it took you a while. Yeah. Yep. It took you, what, three years? To, yeah, to, to come up with the idea and then, yeah, yeah. And so in the trajectory of three years... And a couple of times we come back to say, mate, what are we doing on this wall? Yeah, yeah. Not that we ever had to do something on the wall, but we often talked about, well, what should it be? And the conversation generally came back to a couple of themes. Well, we want to tip our lid to some of our past, some of our yeah. history, but also some of um, you know the present. Yep. And also, it can't really be about one of us. It could 
be any particular person yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, on our team now, regardless of whether they've served in the military or not. Um, it kind of need, we needed to anonymise it a bit. Yeah. Maybe there's less anonymity with this one, but let's talk specifically about the salt and vinegar chips. Yep. The, the dude in the chair, let's dis- dismiss <laughs> that. But the salt and vinegar chips are the piece de resistance. That, that is special. Yeah, and and I figured again, lifting from Banksy, you know, that he's got those sort of imagery of, of police with smiley faces and you know riders throwing Molotov cocktails that are actually bouquets of flowers and and that sort of stuff. So I, I wanted something a bit tongue in cheek, and of course we we like a good crisp <laughs> in the office. <laughs> if there's one thing we like it's a crisp it's a good in fact crisp. even to the point where we could not get enough crisps so we we went and bought the maxi pack of crisps like you don't just go and buy a little you know a little sort of 250 gram you, <laughs> you need a couple of kilos which then meant there were crisps left over so we went and bought a tupperware collection to keep the crisps <laughs> fresh the, the crisps yeah so yeah that that was a bit of a link to the the, the office but it's actually um, that's another fascinating process, and, and mm. hats off to to stencil artists. There's there's an amazing, or well, there's a bunch of amazing ones. Banksy, obviously iconic. A guy called Luke Cornish who who paints under the name Elk E L K. Uh, he's got some incredible stuff here in Perth, mm-hmm. Wolf Lane. He's mm-hmm. got a couple of really good ones. He's had Archibald uh, finalist entries, uh, hyper realistic, multi multi layer stencils. Um, but yeah, it's a, a massive art form in itself. Um, you know, I, there's a, a process to taking a photo and um, sort of pixelating it or getting it into the different colour layers and then printing it and then cutting out each layer of the stencil and then getting the right order to spray it in. It, it was it was a really interesting learning project. Um, How do you even start? Because, I mean, when we post the video, people will look at it and go, I just can't, can't so understand. Start- In fact, we actually need to post two videos. Mm-hmm. The first video is you putting the stencil together. Yeah. The second video is you using the stencils, plural, with different colours, paints. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so start with the your reference image, um, however you want to do it. In that case, I used Photoshop to, to get the original photo and add the chips. Um, you then get it into black and white, and then you use Photoshop to, to filter out the layers. So, you know, what is all the blacks, what's all the mid-tones, and what's all the, the lighter ones? In this case, it was the three-layer stencil separate those three layers, print them out or scale them and print them. In this case, each one was, each stencil was 100 A4 sheets um, sort of split up, which are sort of stuck together and then... Um, Only 100 A4 sheets. Yeah. You can tell the size of the yeah, the, yeah, the, yeah. The, the, the image, the art. And there's smarter ways of doing it. You know, if you had a plotter, it'd just be one big thing and, and you can laser cut the stencils and that sort of stuff. But but this one was, was by hand. So, yeah, it, it took a little bit of time um but again another good flow mindful mm. activity it's you know cutting out little chunks of paper is, is quite a so for reference for those that have flicked over and looked at social media and seen the videos how long does that take from the time that you load up images in photoshop i reckon so i was learning on the way and so in fact i, I did another smaller version um with my boy and, and one of his mates the other day the image manipulation like someone worked up would do it in an hour, I reckon. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, the the printing again, if you just had a plotter, you know, obviously as long as it takes to print, and then that mm-hmm. the, the hand cutting. But you didn't. But you didn't have a plotter. I didn't have a plotter. Um, so in that case, it did take. Um, oh, it would be about, I'd reckon, a couple of hours per per stencil to yeah. to sort of cut and, and tape and uh, get them together. And then the real time was the the cutting out of the stencils, mm-hmm. um, which, you know, I wasn't working consistently on it, but it, it was a couple of days, sort of, I'd go in, cut a bit and come out, and, you know, for a couple of days per stencil. Um, but then when you get in and, and actually spray paint it, it's minutes. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so it, it's all in the prep. Yeah, Amazing. Yeah, and no, the, good the result is a really special and actually meaningful... Yeah hopefully memorable um, piece of art in the office. We can't remove it either. No, I was thinking that. And even painting over it's going to be a pain, so I'm, I'm very <laughs> glad there forever. Like it. <laughs> if we ever sell the office, someone better like that. Yeah, that's like right. That It'll be a feature. Uh, looking forward, what do you want to achieve in Season 5 of the Unforgiving 60 podcast? 
I really like the idea that, that you alluded to before of just continuing to, to meet incredible people. And, you know, even at our Christmas party last year, our office Christmas party last year, there were a bunch of unforgiving 60 Guests, alums. yeah, that's yeah. right, yeah. Um, and pleasingly, there are also some connections that we're making between these amazing people, and um, I, I love that idea. Um, I certainly... Um, I've missed the online community as well. We get... We have traditionally got great feedback and, and good interaction and good interest and great questions. And um, we really encourage people. We'd love it for, for you to reach out and, um, you know, provide that feedback. Uh, debrief at unforgiving60.com, as Tim mentioned before, good, bad or indifferent. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Let us know that you, you were glad we didn't release anything last year. <laughs> um, or, or hopefully otherwise, uh, let us know that you're, you're interested in, in hearing more from us. But um, yeah, wh- whatever, um, questions, comments, suggestions for guests, that sort of stuff. Um, really hoping for, for that to continue into the year. Well, stay tuned for our first guests, hopefully to inspire you, maybe to educate and entertain. 100%. On the Unforgiving 60 podcast, season five. Nice to be back on the podcast with you. Thanks for tuning in. Thanks, Ben. Thank you, Tim. I forgot what I used to say to sign off. Let's get on with the show. <laughs> that was the start. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, yeah. Oh, well, yeah, good point. Let's no longer get on with the show. Let's end <laughs> let's the show. End the show. <laughs> <laughs> See you later. Yeah. Birds are feather Wasting away Birds are a feather Counting the days Wishing for leaving What it's like to be free Dreaming of sunshine And things that will never be Me I don't want to see I've got food in my cheek I'm Wishing for leaving What it's like to be free Dreaming of sunshine And things that will never be to the debrief. We try to go always a little further in this podcast and greatly appreciate your input. Please let us know your feedback, the good, the bad, or the ugly. Also, if you know someone who is living a life less ordinary, we'd love to hear about them. You can get in touch at debrief at unforgiving60.com. That's debrief at unforgiving60.com. If you have enjoyed this podcast, please tell your friends and write a review for us on Apple Podcasts. Until next episode, keep filling your unforgiving minutes with 60 seconds worth of distance run. See you next time on The Unforgiving 60.